in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 106 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly, and we have a ton to talk about. So even with Nick Bosa out, Jimmy Garoppolo out, the 49ers went in and took care of business uh, against the Giants. Oh, boy. We're still talking about a Giants loss. Even when I try and pivot to the 49ers as a joke, we're still talking about a Giants loss. Wow, that was quite the setup. How, how long have you been <laughs> rumbling that one around in your brain? No, it just came to me now because I don't want to talk about the lousy baseball Giants. That was a bad weekend. It was a bad weekend. I mean, it's when you miss the, pl- the playoffs by one game, it's just like you can go through the entire schedule and it's just a big mishmash of... Oh, the Trevor God games and the and Coonrod giving up the walk off at home and the the one that I think uh, you know you tend to think about the, the the mistakes that you made or or the or the games that you gave away but there's also the ones that you just should have won like Evan Longoria smoked a ball that should have been a walk off hit and Trevor Story made one of the best plays I've ever seen a shortstop make and and that yeah. and that led to an extra inning loss against the Rockies and if the Giants got that one. They'd be in the playoffs, and instead they're out because of a tiebreaker against a Milwaukee Brewers team that has not spent a day over 500 all season. Not one. Won exactly one season series against an opponent. They swept the Royals. They even split uh, 10 games with the Pirates. And they get in because their record against the NL Central is 19-21, and 21, and the Giants' record against the NL West, all non-common opponents, are it was 18 and 22 so like the thinnest of margins is keeping you from watching the giants and dodgers play for the first time in a postseason series which would have been gobs of fun regardless of how it turned out so yeah i think that it's it's understandable to be bummed but also they got the whole season in and i think that was much less than a coin flip when this whole thing started so uh you know it's it's been entertaining and we've all needed to be a little bit entertained right now Yeah, no, this is exactly what I'm writing about right now. I'm writing about the pitches that you want back. Uh, And, you know, I'm not including the Sam Coonrod uh, walk-off home run because if he strikes out Trent Grisham there or gets, you know, it... He still has to face Fernando Tatis. That game was not going to go the Giants' way in a hundred different scenarios. Uh, but there are little things. Like on July 30th, one, one I'm looking at, it was an extra inning uh, loss to the Padres. And it was the one where Tyler Rogers got blown up and the Giants gave up six runs to the to the Padres in the bottom of the 10th or top of the 10th. Uh, and there was one play with, with nobody out. You have Tyler Rogers against Tommy Pham. And he hits a ball up the middle, and, except... It looks off the bat like a double play. Aha, this is it. And then when the camera cuts, and it's just under a diving Donovan Solano's glove. And I think about just these little, every single play, when you miss the playoffs by one game, is so important. And there are so many woulda, coulda, shouldas in this giant season. 
Yeah, and then you can also look at the fact that uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was something like their record was seven and eighteen against teams with winning records. I mean, and, and, and granted, this was a different postseason. Eight teams getting in. Uh, there are going to be some teams that don't quote unquote deserve to get in who get those last couple seeds. Um, but you know, so you could argue, well, the Giants really weren't a playoff caliber team. But you know, that's the reality of the situation. They were right there. They had a chance. They had three chances at the end of the season to pretty much um, ice it, and uh, and and one game where they. Knew knew if they won they were in at the end uh, on Sunday and they just came up a little bit short and so you know yeah it's it's uh it's very easy to unspool all of that and it was a fun season it was a fun season to write about i'm assuming it was a fun season to watch if you were a fan there was uh it was intense you you cared about the giants until the final pitch of the season uh that was not guaranteed it it, it you know one of the things i point out uh, in what I'm writing now is that they lost their first two games, first two games to the Dodgers by a combined score of 17 to two. They looked like they were playing a different sport, and that was just how the season was going to go. It was going to be the longest 60 game season possible. Just, they were going to lose 40 games maybe, and they didn't. They were exciting. They they hit. Uh, they had some solid starts from their rotation. The bullpen rounded into form a little bit toward the end there. Uh, it was just a fun team to watch. You know. It was, and you know the Dodgers. We knew were the superior team. They're forty-three and seventeen. I mean, they're they're very clearly uh, the number one seed in the National League, and and probably the best team in baseball. Um, you know, but when you break down their schedule and results, I mean, the Giants played them pretty tough. I mean, the the, uh, the Giants went uh, four and six against them, uh, and that means that the Dodgers lost four games to the Giants. And they lost 17 games total. So <laughs> I, Brandon Crawford made the point when I asked him, he said, yeah, well, you know, we think we would have given them all that they could handle. And I'll bet you may, maybe a lot of Dodger fans wouldn't want to admit this, although a couple did in the comments of the story I wrote after Sunday's game, that they were kind of glad that the Giants didn't make it in because they kind of felt like the Giants don't lose in the postseason. And it was going to be set up for, for absolute misery if you were a Dodger fan. So instead they get the Brewers and uh, – and, uh, and, and good luck to them. I had no illusions that the Giants were, you know, going to be the better team in the postseason, but you just don't want that as a Dodgers fan. You do not want the Giants in a three-game series because that is just, there's so much potential for chaos, so much potential for, whoops, this sacrifice fly, one game three, and that's it for our postseason hopes. And the Giants had nothing to lose. The Giants knew that they weren't going to compete uh, man for man with the Dodgers. They, they didn't have the strong roster, but they would sure take a best of three series just to mess with them and i i don't remember the giants ever being in a position like that where it was just nothing to lose it was a postseason that i'm not going to say without stress because if you're a fan you're going to be stressed watching it but it's as without stress as you could possibly imagine for a postseason series yeah i almost feel like there would be more riding on the outcome of a giants dodgers wild card round best of three series than if somehow the Giants had gotten into the World Series. Because, you know, been, been there, done that, right? But uh, unless it was the A's, maybe. If it was Giants-A's, then, then it would be a little bit bigger. But yeah, Giants-Dodgers, it's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen that they're going to meet in an NLCS. And it's going to be huge. It, it's, you know, it's like... Uh, uh, we've seen Yankees and Red Sox in the playoffs, and it created some of the, the greatest playoff memories, uh, but uh, we haven't seen Dodgers-Giants yet, and that day will arrive at some point, and boy, it's going to be fun. We'll be right back after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So of the last few losses, what was the most painful moment? Was it that Coonrod blown save? Was it uh, the fact that Evan Longoria hit a laser at Trevor Story? Was it the final game where you felt as if uh, the home plate umpire perhaps played an outsized role in the Giants striking out looking a lot? Uh, Which one was more painful? And you can just answer yes to the question. Well, I will say one thing to start. I was never about the laser-guided, robotic, whatever you want to call it, automatic strike zone. I am now. I, I think that they have the technology to do it. I think it's goofy that catchers have to, like, splay a leg out and try to crouch down lower and, and, and get low strikes called. It, they, you shouldn't have to game game the system that way. You know, it, we, we have the technology to do it. They should be able to do it. And maybe you have an umpire who is behind the plate and has that, you know, handheld device or something where they can see it right away and then they can make the call based on that. Um, but there, there should be more. There should be more happening with the strike zone. I, I just, you know, you can't complain about it too much because it's it's part of the game for everybody. But you hate to see a season end that way, especially when this offense – uh, really showed a lot of improvement when it came to swing decisions, when it came to controlling the zone, even when it came to taking strikes that you knew you couldn't do anything with and wait for a pitch you can drive, when it came to aggressiveness with two strikes, still taking your best swing as often as you can. So for one of their most improved hitters, Austin Slater, to have the season end with him taking a pitch out of the strike zone is kind of cruel when you think about it. Um, but but all that said, I, I think the, the worst loss... I mean, boy, the, the ones against Oakland, just the fact that they came, you know, boom, boom, and then the one in Anaheim with Trevor Gott, you felt bad for Trevor Gott. I mean, the, there was the game at Wilmer Flores didn't step on first base, and that could have made all the difference. Um, that was, that was to me, like the most egregious mistake anyone made all season, where it's like, you're a first baseman, step on first base. Uh, but I, I think the worst one, the worst one has to be the weirdest one, and that's getting walked off at home yeah. on a home run. I mean, we've never seen that before, and, and probably will never see it again. And uh, um, it looked like Sam Coonrod just did not want to throw a pitch, and, and maybe it's because his shoulder was barking at him because he went on the injured list the next day. But he looked like he was walking to the guillotine when he was going to deliver that that pitch. And and everyone knew it, and, and it went out. And, and then you had that moment to process it, like, oh, man, this is terrible. I sure hope the Giants can rally in the bottom. We are in the bottom of the <laughs> inning already. The game is over. And that's why the Padres are frolicking on the field. I, I just... It's hard for me to think of anything that was worse than that. Yeah, no, I was actually at that game. So I wasn't watching uh, the screen. I wasn't able to see Sam Coonrod's face up close. So I, I really appreciated that little tidbit in the story that uh, that he sort of had the same feeling, perhaps, that, that everyone else watching did, that this wasn't going to end well. Uh, it was just... 
you know, I, I hate micromanaging bullpens uh, from the from the armchair because there's so much that goes into that. There's this guy's not feeling right. This guy I don't want to use too much. This guy's pitched three days in a row. Uh, it's it's a real tricky calculus, and uh, I I don't want to go through and you know say, well, this guy's available. Well, this guy could have pitched his fourth day in a row. I don't like doing that. All I know is is that when I saw Sam Coonrod's name, there was just the world's biggest rut row that I, I had in me. It just you just didn't have a great feeling about it. Even with a two run lead, you, you thought that you thought that uh, he wasn't going to be able to to get it done. It just felt like one a bloop and a blast. It just felt like that situation. I wasn't necessarily expecting the walk off at that point, but I uh, he doesn't seem like the kind of reliever who's good at limiting base runners. And then once you get a base runner on against the Padres, uh, you know, a they're so fast. You know, it's at first a third is is always a possibility, uh, but just the power too. So it it didn't. I just did not have a good feeling about that, and I don't think I'm alone. Yeah, you know, I think if there's one criticism of Gabe Kapler that's been pretty durable as a manager is, do you trust him and his powers of observation when it comes to pitching and managing pitching and making pitching changes during a game? Uh, and, and and seeing when a reliever just doesn't have it, regardless of what the matchup is, regardless of you know what bucket you've put that pitcher in, whether he's a sprint guy or a leverage guy or a bulk innings guy, as they call them. And Wandy Peralta has been throwing the ball better lately, and he was not a leverage guy, which is why he wasn't in a leverage spot. Um, and they're always going to look to obviously try to get as many you know uh, left on left, right on right matchups as they can with the three batter rule. So you know you understood why Coonrod was in the game based on their thinking, but all you had to do was watch him for for a couple batters, and you realized, okay, three batters, and let's get him out of there. You know, and and that's that's going to be where he's going to have to continue to prove himself as a manager. And I think he proved himself in a lot of other ways this year. Um, and it was a weird season. It required, I think, a lot of leadership and a lot of communication skill uh, to try to get this team to play cohesively when they can spend so little time together. And we're not in the clubhouse to really know exactly what the dynamic was like or have a better feel for it. But what comes through on the Zoom calls is that this was a team that really did get along and, and had good chemistry and, and and was sort of fighting for each other. And I think Gabe Kapler and his coaching staff did a great job on a lot of levels. Um, you know, but ultimately, are they going to be uh, the kinds of coaches that can do what Bruce Bochy did in the postseason? That's a tough thing to ask of anyone, but that is going to be the, the things that are left on his resume to prove for next year and beyond. And here's what, what bothers me about that is that I think he did a pretty darn good job toward the end of the season uh, at mixing and matching with the bullpen, the options that he had. Uh, after uh, the Angels loss uh, with Trevor Gotch, he was under the world's biggest microscope and uh, it, there was no way for him to come out of the season as a tactical bullpen genius. Uh, no matter what he did, there was always going to be someone blowing a save. Even if you're really great with the bullpen, sometimes your relievers are going to fail you, but somehow that was going to be evidence of, you know, oh, there goes Kapler again. Like it was, it was a hard label to shake. Uh, but I thought he did a pretty good job after that. I, you know, there, there's a lot of different moves that I thought, okay, I might have done something differently, but he did this and it worked out. The bullpen was generally solid uh, up until the last week of the season. Uh, so it, it's tricky. Like, there's no way for him to escape that label. Certainly not easily. It has to It has to come with years and years of winning. It's just not something that's going to be done overnight. Yeah, those are fair points. I'm glad you made them. And, and you know, I think it's also... Good to keep in mind that not only did the bullpen improve as the year went on, but 
any any bad bullpen or any bullpen with flaws is going to make a manager look bad. I mean, Bruce Bochy could not do anything right with the bullpen in 2016 uh, down the stretch. I mean, the, the one reliever he didn't use in the in the, the the eliminating loss to the Cubs in the division series was Santiago Casilla, who was their closer for most of the year, because I think he knew that Casilla would, and he and maybe Boch would be booed by the entire ballpark if he was in there. And uh, and I wonder if in retrospect he, he regretted that. Um because uh, he didn't show confidence in a guy who who has three rings, so you know it's it's uh, and, and Boch is, is known as one of the best bullpen tacticians of all time. So so you know it just goes to show you how difficult the job is. So that leads me to a question. Maybe it's a little too early. Maybe we should focus more on a postmortem than a than a look toward the offseason. But I'm curious to know how the Giants build a bullpen for next year. Do you think it's going to be sort of like this year, where it's in-house guys, it's uh, minor league for agents it's it's you have an idea about Wandy Peralta or, or Harlan Garcia uh and, and you're trying to to polish these this freely available talent or do you think they're going to maybe not make the same mistake with Mark Melanson but attack the bullpen and free agency maybe with a, a little bit more cost certainty yeah it's a good question I think it's there's a couple of factors that are complicating one they're talking to people around the game there's going to be a lot of non-tenders there's going to mm. be a lot of teams that that are squeezed I mean you saw that the diamond Diamondbacks traded an Archie Bradley. You know they're, they're going to have to cut back on payroll. There's going to be a lot of, of guys who are arbitration eligible relievers who probably shake loose and are going to be out there. Um, at by the same token, uh, you know all the guys that you might have keyed on who had an under the radar good AAA season. Uh, you know they you don't have those those kind of performances that you can uh, look at. You don't have those scouting reports. You don't have uh, uh, that deep. Uh, information to be able to pick up those minor league free agents that that may be able to help you uh, because they didn't have a minor league season and 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 probably there's not a whole lot of information from the alternate sites as well even though some teams did enter into a scouting agreement and the Giants were one of them as I understand it so you know it, they're going to have more choices but also fewer choices so it, it is going to be interesting I do think the Giants are generally speaking going to be in a better position relative to most teams in terms of their financial might, in terms of their ability to weather. And, you know, if you treat it like uh, the stock market, if you've got capital and you you, you buy low and, and sell high, right? So it might be a good time for the Giants to be a little bit aggressive if they think there are some good bargains out there. Yeah, it's hard not to be at least a little curious about Trevor Rosenthal, uh, just to pick one free agent out of a hat because... He, he looks good. He looks really, really good. Uh, his his ERA in San Diego was 0.00, which seems good with 17 strikeouts and 10 innings. Uh, but his FIP, his FIP was a little higher. It was 0.09. So I don't know. But he, he's like a, he's a weirdo because he was so bad in 2019. And he's had injury problems and he's had a, a touch of Steve Blast disease. Uh, so I don't know. But I could see the Giants targeting this high-risk, high-reward reliever just as a way to uh, give them a chance to have not just a good bullpen, but a really dominant one. Yeah, and you know, I think they're also going to just look for value plays like they have in the past. And, and what does value mean uh, in, in this offseason? I, I don't think anyone really knows how teams are going to spend um, you know, after they've all taken the, the revenue hit that they have. So um, yeah, how, how do you value the marketplace? I think it's 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 very fluid right now, and it may take a while 
uh, before anyone is really bold enough to try to start establishing it. That there, there might be a little bit of a game of chicken involved. Now, let me ask you about Drew Smiley, because he mentioned after the game that, yes, you know, I would certainly consider coming back to, to San Francisco. What is the market for someone like that? We've talked about him before, and you brought up Rich Hill as, as proof that a guy can just have seven or eight good starts, and suddenly he's a very attractive pitcher to have, especially if you're left-handed. Uh, Drew Pomerantz might be another example. Drew Smiley and the Giants, is there a chance that they have a reunion i it seems like it's a good fit i just don't know what what kind of market's going to be out there for him yeah it's it goes back to the same question what what are the market forces going to to be like is it going to be just a bloodbath for anybody who's not you know a, a top level free agent um like we've seen the previous off seasons only more accelerated or you know, our team's going to look to spread the money a little bit more. And, and how much money do they have to spread? Um, it, I, in a vacuum, Drew Smiley should be set up uh, to make a, a really nice contract, uh, a multi-year contract. Um, you know, he struck out 10 in, in five innings against a really good lineup, and, and it looked easy for him. And you could turn him into a dominant reliever, a multi-inning reliever, uh, or, you know, you could start him. And, and he's left-handed. He's got a good breaking ball. He's throwing as hard as he's ever thrown in his career. Uh, ended the season healthy, and Kevin Gosman, same thing. You know, a guy who, who, uh, if you look at the stats under the hood, was easily one of the top twenty pitchers in the National League. So, um, you know, are, are they going to be outpriced for what the Giants are looking for? Or are they going to basically try to find next year's version of those guys? Uh, that may be harder because, as as we said, there there isn't any AAA or minor league performance that you can go on. So, yeah, I, I think that it makes sense for the Giants to pursue both guys. I, I fully anticipate that they will uh, engage with both both those pitchers and, and try to bring them back. Um, but I think they're also going to still, you know, not overpay for either one. Because if there's one thing that the Giants have not done under Farhan Zaidi, it's, it's overpay for anybody. Yeah, that's a good point. I just, when I look at the state of the team and you look at uh, who's under contract for next year in the lineup, and it's basically everybody. I mean, they don't have, uh, I'm just looking through here. I'm not seeing any pending free agents. Am I missing somebody? Uh, pending free agents on the on their major league roster? On the offensive side, uh, the position players, guys who, like key contributors on the offense. Oh, yeah, not really. Wilmer Flores was is the only guy who, was on, who they've signed to a multi-year deal, so he's got more time left on it. Uh, Darren Ruff is nowhere near free agency because um, his time in Korea was not is not major league service. Uh, Alex Dickerson will be in arbitration. Uh, Yastrzemski has only got a, a year and less than two years of service time. So, um, yeah, they, they really don't have a whole lot of people who are, are ready to walk away. So if they're going to attack free agency, and who knows? I mean, this is going to be such a weirdo offseason based on uh, the lack of revenue that came in in 2020. It would, it would make sense that they're going to attack it uh, on the pitching side. And one thing the Giants don't have is they don't have, like you mentioned, the benefit of minor league stats. They know internally if, say, Sean Jelly or Seth Corey, uh, how they were performing. At, at, they weren't even at the alternate site, but in their in their workouts, uh, they know. The Giants have an idea, but probably not enough of an idea to say, yeah, we can certainly rely on them for depth next year, or we have no, no qualms about putting them in a major league rotation maybe halfway through the 2021 season. I just don't think they know that, especially with Logan Webb being so enigmatic this year. 
Uh, so it, it, it's a rotation that really could be rebuilt. I mean, just entirely rebuilt from the ground up with outside acquisitions. Yeah, and they're not going to rush Tyler Beatty either. Tommy John is, is turning into a little bit more of a 14-month protocol than a 12-month protocol. So, you know, it looks like the, you probably couldn't rely on him until probably closer to the All-Star break next year. Even then, they'll they'll be very managed with how they bring him along. So... Yeah, I, I agree. I think that their focus is going to have to be on starting pitching and and uh, and to a lesser extent the bullpen. And you know, you also have to maybe have the thought in mind that at some point uh, next year they could fold in Elliot Ramos, and there could be some other people from the hitting side that could arrive to to bolster what they already have. So you know, it'd be interesting to see just if they say, okay, yeah, Donovan Solano, you're an everyday player. Alex Dickerson, you're an everyday player. Brennan Crawford, we think you can slug what you slugged this past year, which was a career high for you. We don't need more to protect ourselves in those areas. Or, or they could hedge themselves a little bit. And I think that they'll probably do a little of both. But clearly the emphasis has to be on pitching this offseason. I am curious to know your thoughts about what to do with Joey Bart. And he was, you know, obviously a highly touted prospect coming up. I think everyone expected a little bit more immediate help uh, from him, at least one home run would have been pretty cool. Uh, but I look at his his peripheral stats, which is in 111 plate appearances, he had three walks and 41 strikeouts. You know, he was striking out just an inordinate amount of times. He was striking out on pitches high, pitches low, pitches in, pitches out. Uh, he is probably ticketed for the minor leagues to start next year, correct? I would have to think so. That's the big one. Strikeout to walk ratio is, is one of the most predictive stats of performance. Uh, it's something that this front office is all in on. And they kept saying, we don't think he's ready. We don't think he's ready. But they also, I think, knew that at some point they had to have Joey Bart in the big leagues this season, even if he he put up a stat line like he did, um, because there was going to be no way for him to develop, really, at the alternate site, no way for, to get something out of this year that was going to be meaningful. And I don't think it's necessarily a failure if he starts at AAA. That's where where he should have been this year. And clearly, uh, they're going to have Buster Posey back. And Evan Longoria said, hey, you know, let's let's be honest. It, It really hurt him not to have Buster here. And he texted Buster and told him that and was very quick to follow up and say, this is not a criticism of of Buster's decision to opt out of the season. He did the right thing for himself, for his family and the situation they were in adopting those newborn, um, prematurely born uh, twin girls. Uh, But if, if Posey had been here, Longoria said it was pretty plain that he would have done a lot to help Joey Bart because, you know, there's a lot of meetings a catcher has to be in. There's a lot of communication on both the hitting side, on, on uh, uh, getting the, the plan for the, the, the pitchers, knowing the secondary sets of signs were problems at times. But there's just a lot of download for, for a catcher who's new in the big leagues. And you don't have as much time in the clubhouse. You don't have as much time being around other people. So it was kind of a, a, an off-on-his-own experience for Joey Bart this year. And in a lot of ways, really difficult for him to try to succeed in the big leagues. And, um, you know, so it's I don't think you can grade him too harshly based on what we saw. It's only 111 plate appearances. If 33 games, if it had happened in, in the middle of July in a normal season, you would just say that he's pressing and he's striking out too much. But the fact it comes at the start of his career and you have 41 strikeouts, three walks and no home runs, even though he was definitely swinging like he wanted to turn that zero into a one a lot. And that might have helped, you know, if he just run into one early or, or a ball off the wall that he doubled in one of those first two games had gone out. You know, maybe maybe it would have helped him settle in a bit more. So, you know, it's it's about where I think the front office expected him to be. 
And uh, you can't say that it was a failure because he got that experience. And as long as his confidence wasn't shaken too badly by it, and I don't think it was, then uh, he'll, he'll probably come out of it uh, the better for, for having gone through this. Now let's talk about happier things. Let's talk about Brandon Belt. What in the hell? What was that about? <laughs> he was so good. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, I'm a big Brandon Belt supporter from way back in the day. I am a veteran of the Belt Wars. He is an all-star and a deserving all-star. Uh, but that's about as good as he can as swing it. And what was really impressive to me is that he had uh, close to an even strikeout-to-walk ratio. And even with his great eye in the past, uh, that just wasn't the case. He he just he looked like he was locked in. He had the highest walk rate of his career, the highest extra base hit percentage. Uh, he had the lowest strikeout-to-walk ratio, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, I, I just was not expecting that at all. Yeah, I think the ballpark helped him, maybe mentally and maybe, you know, in terms of the results. I, th- I think that the way the ball carried and, and there were a couple home runs that he got that, that wouldn't have been home runs last year. There was one that he hit and he crossed home plate and he's walking to the dugout and you just see this big old smile on his face, you know. <laughs> uh, it's like, he you know, the home run was like under a Christmas tree. So, so you know, I think that helped. And, and you know what else I think helped his mindset and his mentality a little bit was having a coaching staff that really believed in him. And and this is not meant completely as a knock on Bruce Bochy, but you know, there were a lot of times that Bochy thought that Belt was too passive at the plate and, and, and needed to protect a little more with two strikes. And he wasn't necessarily wrong uh, given, you know, different game situations. But Brandon Belt is somebody who has an approach and sticks with that approach. And I think when he gets out of that approach uh, is when he gets in trouble. And, and mostly that's swinging at pitches out of the zone. And I think a big part, I would have to go and onto Fangraphs and see what his chase rate was, because I would imagine it really went down this year. I think, and I suspect, that he knew he had a coaching staff and a front office that really believed in his strike zone awareness as being an elite level skill, and they were all in on supporting it. And and he he felt that confidence that that this is the player he is, and this is the way he can be and, and will be appreciated. And I, I think that played into his success too. His swing percentage at pitches outside of the strike zone was his lowest since 2017. <clears throat> uh, he was actually swinging a little bit less than he's, he's ever swung. Uh, so I guess that that's a good thing. You know, he's taking a few more pitches. He's always had that really, really good eye. Uh, but just in general, when I was when I was looking at how the new ballpark dimensions were, were going to affect players, and I looked back at all the home runs that could have been in 2019, I was expecting Brandon Belt to fare well in my search. I was not expecting him to have so many balls last year that might have been out or at least hits this year. I just I kept going through and I kept wondering. Am I screwing this up somehow? Can he have this many near misses in a single year? And then the year before that, he had plenty. He just, he needed that. He needed the fences moved in by that much to, I guess, turn into a really, really great hitter. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that really helped is he was in a lineup that was producing. And, and, and maybe it helps to really have a little more belief in the person behind you and their ability to get it done. You don't feel like it's all on your shoulders. And, and that's something I think affected everyone positively because we've seen how it affects teams where everyone's squeezing the bat a little bit trying to make something happen and uh, uh, for the most part this offense was just very very consistent from from the start of the year to the end except for one little lull or two and and especially productive at home so you know the the ballpark definitely I think was a factor and was a factor um, 
that that probably helped them a lot more than it hurt them at home, given their their home record was was exceptional. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays in the future. But I still think that it's going to be considered a pitcher's park. I think as they try to lure free agent pitchers, uh, it'll be a plus uh, to play in San Francisco as opposed to a negative. And that should help them because that's probably where a lot of their free agent money is going to be invested in, in the near term. Lightning round because we are about out of time. But do you think that this Giants team will be an average or better offense next year? I was kind of thinking that there was going to be some regression from people like Mike Yastrzemski this year, and instead they got better. So I I kind of feel like they could get better. They can definitely get a lot more offense out of the catching position next year than they did. You know, they'll have Buster back, and and maybe he'll be refreshed after a year off. I think he can be better than league average. Yeah, why not? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm kind of erring on that side too, if only because Alex Dickerson, you know, he wasn't just the same. He was a little bit better, and they sort of fixed him as the season went along. Same with Dubon. You know, he was lost in the beginning, but a little tweak there, a little adjustment there, and he's fixed going forward. I think the Giants showed a real capability of molding players and taking that clay and making a little bit of art out of them. Yeah, and, uh, you know, ultimately, they as they were pulling the uh, the uh, fired vessel out of the kiln, it, 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 it uh, they dropped it and it exploded into a billion pieces, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> to <laughs> take the doodle. metaphor a little further. Whoopsie um, doodle. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it would have been fun to see them take on the Dodgers. Uh, but overall, they got through the season. They made it through healthy. Nobody ended up with a family member on a ventilator. Thank God. You know, and, and they even had five games that were postponed because of uh, racial injustice and wildfire smoke and a, a, a false positive for a guy whose wife was about to give birth. And I mean, there was a lot of drama when you think about it, but they came through it. And you and I, I think both had our our, our share of pessimism that this was going to work and whether it was even a good idea. And it ended up being, I think, a positive thing. Um, and so it, it's, it seems a little bit Pollyanna maybe to after they just missed the postseason to, to say, hey, good job you know, good season. It was a victory that they made it this far, but they did. They, they, they lost their 60th game, but that means they played 60 games. And, and I think that there's a lot of positives and a lot to be grateful for out of that. Absolutely. I am grateful that I got to watch as much baseball as I did in 2020. It was never guaranteed and it was way more fun than I thought it was going to be. It really really was. All right. This has been episode 106 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Thursday and we will talk a little bit about, oh, I don't know, I guess how those stupid Dodgers are doing. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Tanika Smothers for producing and we'll see you then.